Thank you, Brother James, and welcome to everybody that's here, those physically present, as well as those online. So what are we doing this morning? We are continuing our study through the book of Philippians. We are a church that believes strongly in expository preaching. What that means is that we uh, take a book of the Bible, we start chapter 1, verse 1, and however long it takes, we go through it. We see what it means in the original context in which it was written. And then we ask ourselves, how does that apply to me today? So that we can be aligned with God's will so that the word of God can change us. So at this point in time, we are in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. So that's the passage that we'll be expounding on today. Uh, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 2, starting in verse 19 through 24. And that should be on the screen so you can read along. The inerrant word of God reads, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we learn these precepts that we have learned in the book of Philippians, on how to live the Christian life, on how to apply these truths. Now we have an example in Timothy, a great saint of the faith in the early church. We pray, Lord, that we may be able to see Timothy as an example to follow so that we may imitate him. To do so will be only by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us, Lord, that we may be able to apply these truths to our lives. So we ask that your Holy Spirit may be here, may intercede and open up our hearts and eyes, mind to understand this text. We ask for your grace and your mercy this morning, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of this sermon, corresponding to this text, I named it Genuine Service in the Lord, Part 1. The reason why I said it's Part 1 is because right after this text... Paul puts another example, and that's Epaphroditus, who is another fellow servant of his. And then he puts him as an example. So a genuine servant in the Lord, or genuine service in the Lord, part one, will deal with Timothy. So as a quick recap, I always like to make a quick mention of where we are in the book of Philippians. And where we are, just to give a quick recap, Paul has been encouraging, exhorting the church at Philippi to be humble, to serve one another, to think higher of others rather than themselves, to look at ultimately the one who was the most humble and who gave the most service to all of humanity, and that would be Jesus. He's the ultimate example, right? 
Now, to do it perfectly like Jesus did is impossible. But now we are starting to see some human examples of Paul himself, of Timothy, and then, as we will see later, of Epaphroditus. So what, what have we learned so far as to how we can accomplish the type of living that Paul is telling the Philippians to live? Well, he's telling us that it takes self-examination. And we saw this last week, right? In order for us to live the Christian life, to be light in a world that is dark, that is wicked. First, we need to analyze ourselves. Where do I stand? Am I walking in the paths of God or am I being swept away by the ideas and the ways of the culture of the world? Where do I stand? Secondly, we need to understand the times. In order to shine the light, you need to know where to shine the light. Understanding the times means what is going on in our world, in our culture. That cannot be separated from our convictions as Christians. Understanding the times. Then being able to articulate what is going on. Being able to expose where evil ideology comes from. Who is promoting that evil and wicked ideology? And then acknowledging that there's no neutral ground. The couple of examples that I gave is that in our culture, we have been swept by the ideology of intersectionality and critical race theory. We gave a few examples of how that it's not only creeping into every part of our lives and our jobs, our schools, our corporate environments, but also into the church. In where pastors are now starting to preach from a worldview, taking into account stuff that is not biblical and hence deviating from the truth of scripture so that's the recap and i will close that particular recap and move on by a quote from dr james white who is a great apologist and theologian of our day in commenting about this he says quote a Christianity that capitulates so as to allow its theology to be determined by intersectionality is a Christianity utterly foreign to the Spirit of God, to the Scriptures, and to the work of Christ. And we remember that. My friends, brothers and sisters, if our Christianity is the same as what the world offers, it is not Christianity. So now, Paul has given us an example of someone who was light in a wicked and twisted, perverse generation. That would be Timothy. So we will examine a profile of Timothy. What we know about him, how he was taught, how he was converted, and how, how he showed humility, how he showed partnership in the gospel by being Paul's companion. Now, if you recall, last time that we uh, met here last Sunday, there was two verses that we didn't get to comment on because there was just so much to, to say in the other verses. So I will quickly mention what those two verses were and then we'll move on. So that's Philippians 2, 17 and 18. It says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, 
you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So that's actually the tail end of the last passage, and then now goes into talking about Timothy. So just a quick note on what does Paul mean, a drink offering, that he himself is a drink offering in the sacrificial offering of the Philippian church. What does that mean? Paul is alluding to an ancient custom that took a drink, in most cases wine most likely, and it would be poured as a sacrificial offering on the burnt offering that is an animal sacrifice that was being burned to a deity. That drink was poured on and it would evaporate. It's a common costume, uh, custom in the, in the Old Testament and in those times. So Paul is making that analogy to say that his very life is that last drink offering that is being poured on the sacrifice that the Philippian church is doing. And again, this is not a literal sacrifice. Now we're talking about the Philippian church living a selfless, dedicated life to Jesus. That itself is sacrificial. And Paul laboring with them is saying, he's about to be taken away. He's going to die soon. And he's saying his life is being poured as that last um, drink offering or sacrifice. We see another reference to that type of <clears throat> sacrifice in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7, in which Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So then this imagery, Paul reflects his sufferings for the Philippians and includes him being in prison when he wrote the letter to the Philippians that we just read. That, suf that suffering is being offered to God. And know that Paul is not saying, oh, woe is me, look at me, I'm suffering, I'm such a victim, or I should be looked upon as uh, someone to be pitied. He's not saying that. But rather, he says he's rejoicing in him suffering along with the Philippians. And he's saying, the Philippians, you should rejoice with me as well. So now we turn to the text to be expanded upon today. And in doing so, we're going to see what are the qualities of a genuine servant of the Lord. Being a genuine servant of God, what does that look like? And based on this text, that we're going to see a, a profile of Timothy, it encompasses three things. First, to be a genuine servant of God, we must be a true convert. You must be a Christian. Otherwise, whatever good deeds you do are not going to please God. Be a true convert. Secondly, we need to be trustworthy and selfless within the church and also outside. What about those that are not part of the church? How do they look at you? Are you trustworthy? And thirdly, a true servant of the Lord is to be submissive to God's will. Being submissive to the will of God. So let us take a look at that first quality, a true convert. We cannot serve God or please God unless we are genuine believers in Christ. So let us look at the first verse that we're going to analyze today. Philippians 2.19, it says, I hope in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul is telling the Philippian church, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. 
And why? Because he wants to be cheered. He wants to be joyful of the news, of the updates from the Philippian church. If we recall, Paul has commended the Philippian church for their walk in the gospel, for their diligence. There's no signs of the Philippian church being in danger of falling astray or having false teaching, right? Paul is very quick to rebuke when that happens, but not here. So Paul is wanting to send Timothy to reinforce and therefore to hear of how well they're doing and offer any support that he can. So then after the Philippians have heard in this letter that they are to be light in the world, serve with humility, he now puts a person as an example, Timothy. Timothy is one of the most mentioned characters in the New Testament. He was the son of a converted Jewish mother. And the son, his father, was a Greek, right? a pagan, a non-Christian. Timothy first joined Paul as a traveling partner at Lystra at the beginning of the second missionary tour that Paul embarked on. Timothy was already a believer when he met Paul. Because Timothy had been taught the ways of God by his mother and by his grandmother. We see that in 2 Timothy 1.5, which Paul writing to Timothy says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure it dwells in you as well. This is a reminder of the responsibility of parents, of believing parents, to teach our children the ways of God. Here we see Timothy, he's a third generation in. His grandmother, his mother, and now him. Three generations in which the word of God has been passed on. Now it cannot be said, Paul didn't say you were born to a Christian mother, therefore you're a Christian. No, as a matter of fact, his mother was a converted Jewish woman. Which reminds us that there's no such thing, well, I was born in a Christian home, so... I'm covered, right? That's not so, my friends. Paul makes distinct claims that a Christian becomes a Christian because one is taught, because one hears the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to be taught. We need to be submissive to someone teaching us the ways of God, to us reading, to us being explained what the scriptures mean in order for us to learn. And in this case, Timothy's mother and grandmother had been diligent to teach Timothy. And who knows, the Bible doesn't say, but that Jewish mother might have been converted after her mother also converted and taught him the ways of the Lord, taught her the ways of the Lord. So then, a reminder for all of us, are we teaching our children? Are we being diligent in teaching the ways of the Lord? It's a great compliment that Paul here gives not only to Timothy, but to his mother and to his grandmother for being faithful, diligent in teaching Timothy. So that resulted in Timothy getting saved in him, knowing Christ as his Savior and having sincere faith as Paul assesses his faith. Think of that, right? If the Apostle Paul... A great man of God is saying that somebody has sincere faith, such as Timothy. That's a great compliment. 
a genuine believer in the estimation of Paul. And then Paul here says that he hopes in the Lord. In verse 23, he says, he hopes therefore to send him. In verse 24, he says, I trust in the Lord. <clears throat> so this concept of I hope in the Lord, I trust in the Lord, is very common to the language that Paul uses. That word hope in the Greek, it means just that, to expect, to have an expectation with some sort of assurance, although you don't see it. And then trust, trust in the Lord. The word there in the Greek, pitho, it means to rely on, to trust in, to depend on. As high commendation as Paul has for Timothy then, here's a reminder that Paul is nevertheless putting his trust in the Lord. That it is God who is making Timothy will and do the things that are required in order for Timothy to be faithful. It's a reminder for us to ultimately, right, doesn't mean that we don't need to be diligent to teach, to learn, to exhort, to encourage one another. But ultimately, our trust should not be in men because men will let us down. Our ultimate trust should be in God. Nevertheless, as human beings, we are still being held responsible. We are still accountable to God for our diligence, for our obedience in the Lord. So then, just as a high commendation that Paul gives to Timothy is a reminder that he still is trusting in God and not solely in men. That leads to the second aspect of what a genuine servant of God looks like. Not only a true comfort, as, as uh, Timothy was, but trustworthy. That's point number two. So the next verse reads, Philippians 2.20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul trusted Timothy then to be genuine in his concern for the well-being of the church. Paul vouches for Timothy, saying that, Within that first Christian movement in history, there was none other like this young man, Timothy. What a great compliment, once again. And it all started because his mother and his grandmother taught him. Right For all the moms, all the grandmas here. A great responsibility to be faithful to the teachings of the scripture into our children. So then Timothy will be genuinely concerned for their well-being. This is a reminder for anyone in a position of leadership, any lead role within the church, of the type of character that is required in order to care. The number one illustration of a good shepherd, of someone who cares for his people, is one who will lead by example. And that will then flow to the people that he's caring for. In this case, from an elder, a pastor, a deacon, anyone in position at church. Does that person show an example of genuinely caring for the people? If we are honest, this is a very high calling. It's not easy. And this puts me in check. How am I doing? Our natural desires, if we are honest, are to constantly seek self-interest, constantly. Am I going to be okay? How am I doing? 
Am I going to have enough? Am I going to have money, health, sustenance, job? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's our primary drive, our self-preservation. So then as I'm thinking about and preparing for this message this week, I'm thinking, do I care for people? If so, do I show it? If so, how often do I show it? Or am I self-deceiving? Which then translate to you, to everyone here. Do you care for each other here in the congregation? Do you serve one another? Do we do that sacrificially? Do we share and show acts of kindness to one another? Because Paul tells us that ultimately, that's where ultimate joy is found in serving one another in the context of a Christian community. Finding joy in the things done as a sacrifice to others, we will find joy. And not only find joy for us and those that we are serving, but we'll also glorify God. Now that's a foreign concept in our, in our culture because we are, we are a selfie generation. We are a generation that seeks instant self-gratification. What do I need? I'll order it. If I'm lucky, it'll, get, it'll be here later on today. That's the kind of culture that's been inculcated in our minds. And whether we realize it or not, we are very quick to jump on that wagon and constantly seek our own self-interest. So then, taking off one more layer to that, when was the last time that if I'm honest, I said, I said no to serving God because my comfort is at stake. When was the last time that I chose to deny my selfish desires so that a fellow brother or sister or, or a, a family could be blessed by my denial of self? That includes my possessions, my time, my money, my talents. Can I think of a time that I did that. Could it be said of us, as Paul says of Timothy, that we are genuinely concerned with the well-being of God's people first, and then with the well-being of those outside of God's people? And the context here is that to be sacrificial, it will cost us something. Comfort, money, time, being inconvenience. Like, oh, there that person comes again. then our devotion to living the Christian life will cost us something. In that line of thought, we are reminded of the book of 2 Samuel. Towards the end of the book of 2 Samuel, when David was told to build an altar to God Almighty in which to then offer sacrifices. When David, in obedience, went to seek and make that altar, he came to this man, Arana, a Jebusite who had the materials needed in order for him to make that altar and have the burnt offering there. And this man, out of reverence and respect, he wanted to give all the stuff to David so that David could then offer that to God. And when David realized that what he was just going to be doing was taking something for free and then offering that to God. This was David's answer. 
We find that in 2 Samuel 24, 24, it says, But the king said to Aaronah, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I can think of a couple of times where I thought, eh, like, I'll offer this to God because I don't need it. It's basically my, my scraps. And I'm not just talking about money. My money is the obvious one. What is it that constantly drives us? Our ambitions, our talents, our time. Are we willing to serve God <clears throat> to surrender the entirety of our lives to God, knowing that it will cost us something? Remember, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, count the cost. Count the cost. So may God grant us the, such conviction in order to serve him full-heartedly. Otherwise, we will neither be genuinely caring for others, let alone serving him. It's not possible. So then we see that Paul trusted Timothy to be selfless, unlike others in the church. That means that there could be Christians, and there are Christians that are not selfless. And that's a path of sanctification, right? Of becoming more and more like Jesus that we walk through each and every day. Verse 21, it says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So we see again how Paul is putting Timothy as the example that the faith working out Timothy's own salvation is visible, is being seen. Because Timothy seeks not his own interests, but those of Jesus, of the kingdom. We're reminded earlier in that chapter in verse 4, Philippians 2, 4, where it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Right? We're not saying not to look out for our own interests. We say yes. But just as we have that mind for us, we should have that for others as well. Having two young kids, especially with my youngest one, it is very evident when he's being selfish, not wanting to share. Even the other day, I had taken them to the swap meet. They love going to the swap meet. I get them each a toy. And as we were in the car going to my parents' house, little Ziki tells me that he loves his toy so much. And he says, Daddy, I love this toy more than I love Jesus. <laughs> right? And I thought about that. I let her tell my wife, if we're honest, that is also true for us. Except that Ziki is absolutely honest. Right? And it's a path of sanctification that we must work at every day, asking God, for repentance, for forgiveness, so that we can become more like Jesus himself. In this case, more like Timothy, selfless. And the ultimate example was already given earlier in this chapter. Jesus, Jesus himself. He emptied himself, entered his own creation, humbled himself, 
unto the point of death, death on the cross. And because of that humility, Jesus is now exalted above everything and everyone. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we saw. The ultimate example of that humility is Jesus. So this attitude then of having a good reputation, of being selfless, is not only important in the church, but also outside of the church. That's how we can assure ourselves and have a reference on whether we are being genuine servants of the Lord. Romans 14.8 reads, Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So serving the interests of Christ will necessarily flow down to take care of the church, the interests of the people at church, but also our integrity and our righteous character will carry over outside of the church. First Timothy then, First Timothy 3.7, another reference to this concept, it says, Moreover, he, an elder, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now there the immediate context is the qualifications for an elder, for a leader of the church. But that can also apply to a believer. Like what, is a believer to be okay with having a bad witness? Absolutely not. The character of a Christian is applicable there as well. One is to be thought of as having a good character in church and outside of church. So then we ask ourselves, am I trustworthy? What if I were to walk up to someone that knows you pretty well outside of this church environment? And I ask them, hey, uh, is so-and-so, put your name there, is so-and-so trustworthy? When they tell you they're going to do something, do you trust that they're going to follow through? What can you tell me? What would that person tell me if I were to ask them? And they don't know who I am. If I do a, uh, what do they call those things? Like a secret shopper when they go and see how they're treated either at, at a store or at a restaurant, right? If I do that in your lives or if somebody were to do it to me, can somebody outside the church say, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I may not like the guy, but he's a straight shooter. Keeps his commitments, responsible, right? Caring kind this is not natural to our nat to our human tendencies we want to do self-interest we want to care for ourselves and not to be selfless matthew henry commenting here on the character of timothy he says the following now quote seeking our own interests to the neglect of Jesus Christ is a very great sin and very common among Christians and ministers. Many prefer their own credit, ease, safety before truth, holiness, and duty. The things of their own pleasure or reputation before the things of Christ's kingdom and his honor and interest in the, word, in the world. But Timothy was none of these. Right. Timothy did not seek credit as a matter of fact, Timothy was almost always in the background. Timothy was being sent. Timothy was being instructed. 
So, this is a wake-up call for me, right? How, how am I serving the church, the people? How is my character outside of this pulpit? Do I love taking credit for good deeds, for attaboy from somebody patting me in the back because I did something well? Do I love how easy my life is compared to others? And I kind of say, yeah, I'll pray for you. But what am I really doing to extend a hand of help to others? Do I love and want to keep the safety of my everyday living without any regard for others? If so, all that is being done at the price of not living a sacrificial life with an attitude of honoring God. This week, on Wednesday, I had to travel to Juarez, Mexico. That's the border town in Texas. And the occasion was not good news at all. It was a tragic death of my cousin, whom I'm very close with, my cousin's son, 18-year-old boy, who took his own life. As I visited Juarez, I was reminded, I've been exposed to it before, but I've been reminded of the harsh realities of life, of a fallen world. Crime, poverty, corruption, suffering, abuse, and just about every tangible human need that you can think of. Right there, right before your eyes. Now only then do I realize how easy my life really is. Yet once again I'm reminded that the biggest need among a hurting people, in this case my own family, and the community that they live amongst, their ultimate and true need is not only a helping hand, which we should lend to those people, but their ultimate need is the need for Christ. And reaching those people, reaching the people around us that are hurting, that are in need, will require discomfort, sacrifice, servanthood, humility, inconvenience, the question is, will we do it? Are we doing it? Or are we letting it pass by? The sign of a true servant of the Lord is that we will have genuine care for others. Are we showing that? Then thirdly, a genuine servant of God will be submissive to the will of God. That's the third and last point. Philippians 2.22, it says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy, again, is spoken of as having not only a trustworthy reputation based on his actions, but Timothy's faith 
has fruit. Timothy's faith works. Timothy has denied himself in multiple occasions and in many ways in order to remove obstacles in him being a witness for Jesus. Timothy showed and proved himself to be a genuine servant. We'll give an example. Prior to going with Paul in a missionary journey to the Jewish people, Timothy subjected himself to be circumcised, right, as, as a young, grown boy, in order not to be a stumbling block for the Jewish people because they knew that he came from a mixed marriage, right? Now, he didn't have to do that. If anyone knows theology, it would be Paul, right? Paul and Timothy about the old covenant, the old covenant new covenant. So Paul could have said, you know what, Timothy? Nah, we're going to give it to him straight. No need to do that. That's legalism. And I guess there would be a place for that, right? But here, Timothy submitted himself to that in order to not be a stumbling block to the Jewish people he was going to reach. So I, I don't know about the men here. I don't know about you, but if this was a requirement for me to go preach and minister to the Jewish population... I have to pray real hard that one of you would be convicted to do it and not pass by. It'll pass me by, right? I'm just being honest. We see that in Acts 16, verses 2 and 3. It says, He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. There it is. So Timothy showed submission for the sake of serving in the work and the spread of the gospel. A second example, how Timothy showed submission. He showed submission to Paul as a son submits to a godly father. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. And the New Testament alludes to that in several occasions. Timothy came to Paul on his second missionary journey, as we saw. But he also went to Macedonia, to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Berea, and later was asked to join Paul at Athens. He also came to meet Paul while at Corinth, and later returned to meet Paul in Asia, and then go together to Macedonia. So that trustworthiness, that proven record of Timothy, led to Timothy being in charge of the church at Ephesus. That's where he stayed, ultimately. 1 Timothy 1.3, it says that. It says uh, of how he was entrusted with, with the things Paul would delegate to him. It says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So, Timothy is in charge with making sure that nothing fishy is going on at the church of Ephesus. If we think about the letter to the Ephesians, there's some really bad stuff going on about how a person becomes right with God. How is a person saved? They were trying to introduce works righteousness. So Timothy is put there as a, 
as a watchdog, as a leader, in order not to let the Ephesians go astray in their faith. So then we see Timothy's submission to authority and Timothy being entrusted to lead the church of Ephesus. That's not where he started. He didn't start by being a leader in the church. He started being diligent to what he was given. Some extra biblical tradition holds that Timothy remained at Ephesus until he was murdered precisely for his faith. Right, the Bible doesn't say exactly how, but we do have accounts in history that say that Timothy was killed when he stood up to a parade of idolaters that were literally parading around being idolaters. And he stood up to them, confronted them, he preached to them to repent, to trust in Christ. And because of that, he was killed. He was murdered. Then he died by literally standing up against that twisted and wicked generation of that time. So the closing two verses then further reinforce Timothy's submission to God's will and the direction of Paul, which was his spiritual father. So let us read those last two verses, 23, 24. It says, I hope therefore to send him, that means Timothy, just as soon as I see how I will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. So Paul then is continuing to send Timothy to the Philippians to help in the spreading of the gospel, to give them support, which will then enable Paul to go, hit, to go there himself, or at least that was his plan. So Timothy submitting to authority. So then what can we say about this passage what can we say here in closing well first where do we stand where do I stand relative to the example of Timothy am I serving God genuinely first I need to ensure that I'm indeed a believer do I trust in Christ have I been born again Timothy had been converted at a young age Right. He, he was not born a Christian. Nobody is born a Christian. We are converted by hearing the gospel. There could be a trap that says, well, I kind of hang out with Christian people and I do a lot of good deeds, according to me. So I'm even involved in the church. I attend church regularly or once in a while. But that is not genuine work of a believer if we have not trusted in Christ. So first, we need to assure that we are trusting in Christ. Secondly, we see that Timothy has a proven record. Timothy is above reproach. Timothy is not perfect, right? We all are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But we do see that Timothy, inside and outside of the church, is thought of as one with a godly character. So then, how is my testimony? Am I trustworthy amongst my brothers and sisters in the church? But also... What about outside here? At my workplace, at my school, with my family members? I mean, do they even know that I'm a Christian? How is my testimony? And do they think of me as a godly person? Am I trustworthy? 
Am I dependable? Am I kind to them? Do I genuinely care for them? Do people trust me? So this is definitely, if we are honest, an area that we could all improve in becoming better witnesses and following the example of Timothy. So that then we could also have a proven record of faithfulness to God shown by our character, by our trustworthiness. I guess I'd, I'd mention here that in going to this funeral under this horrible circumstances, I spoke with my cousin and her husband and they told me that it was okay for me to preach. Now, I know for a fact there were people there who did not like what I said. And some of those people are very close to me. But they could not contradict what I said because they know my character. They know me well. And one of them even told me, well, I mean, I could take that from you, but if anybody else told me that, I would probably would tell them to get out of here. My friends, our character builds up to a particular situation in many times then what is critical for you to speak the gospel, you need to be credible. And not say, well, what is this person telling me? They have a, they have a horrible witness. There's nobody come and tell me this. Our integrity, our example matters. And then lastly, what we learn from Timothy is, am I under authority as Timothy was under authority? If you are not under authority as ordained by God, you are a slave to your selfish desires. Make no mistake. What kind of authority are we talking about? We're talking about God's authority. What we see in scripture, that's being under the authority of God. Then in the family structure, we're talking about a man being submitted to God, sacrificially leading his family. We're talking about a wife being submissive to her husband in the Lord, to a godly husband. We're talking about children being under authority, obedient to their parents. How does our home look like in our particular situation? Are we being submissive to God? Are we being submissive to one another? And then we cannot ignore the authority of a local church. How serious is my commitment to the local church? How can we submit to God's authority, to God's authority, if we don't submit to his church? Where do we give an account to fellow brothers and sisters if not within a local church? And here there could be a couple of answers is I know that I'm not under authority and you know, whatever the case may be, I know that I'm not. And hopefully we can repent from that and change that. But then there's another answer to this that is, well, I, I think I am. But really, you're not. Because if we were to look at your life, 
it will show that you're not being submissive to the local church. And if we are not under authority to God's authority in his word, in our homes, in our lives, in the local church, we will be slaves to our selfish desires and not be a genuine servant of Christ. I will leave us then with a passage from Hebrews chapter two, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which points us to the one that we should be setting our eyes, our mind upon, which is Christ. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May we look to Jesus for him to work in us so that we are willing and doing what is according to his will. That is being a genuine servant of his. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much because you're your word is truth, Lord, and going through your word convicts us. It points us to where we should go in order to be submissive to you, in order to serve you with a genuine heart, Lord. Lord, if we are honest, we know that there's many areas of our lives that we have to repent of and turn to you. I pray that you may give us that conviction today to love you, to serve you, to surrender to you, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.